All right, will you please take up your Bibles with me and open them to Genesis chapter 9. We're going to begin reading at verse number 18 this morning. This passage chronicles the last recorded chapter of Noah's life in the Bible. And quite honestly, his story ends a little differently than we might expect. So let's check it out together, beginning in Genesis chapter 9, verse number 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine, and became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Father, we ask the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon the reading of your sacred word. God, we ask that your Son Jesus would be magnified through this message that the hearts of sinners would be convicted and comforted in the person and the work, the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in His name and for His eternal glory. Amen. I think it's probably safe for me to say that every one of us here this morning have at some point in our lives done something that we wouldn't want broadcasted to the world. Is that true? Is that true? Whether it's a single decision that we wish we hadn't made, one day in our lives that we wish we could restart, or just an extended way of living through a longer season or period, we all have those pages that we want to just keep out of the book of our lives. I know I have a few chapters from the book of my life that I would like to tear out and throw away. And I wonder if Noah would have felt that way about the verses that we read of him today. But God did not allow this dark page in Noah's life to be hidden. 
And in fact, friends, there are very few characters in Scripture who don't have some serious sinful failure forever attached to their name. Abraham was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver and a thief. Moses had a volatile temper and even killed a man. Samson was ruined by his lust. David committed adultery and then had the woman's husband killed to cover it up. Solomon loved women too much. Jonah was vindictive. Peter was impulsive, proud, and ultimately a coward, and on and on it goes. But these were all righteous men who had some moment of failure in their life and their sins are spread all over the pages of Scripture. But the Apostle Paul makes this glorious, guilt-shattering declaration in Romans 5.20 where he says, Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Boy, we ought to be running the aisles like Pentecostals this morning. Where sin abounds, <laughs> grace abounds more. And friends, that's what this dark page in Noah's life is going to teach us through this text. That God's grace through Jesus Christ is sufficient for even the worst falls and failures of His people. So let's look at this passage together and first of all see that even the righteous sin and they sin badly. They sin badly. The flood is over. The ark is empty. And Noah and his sons are starting to rebuild. And verses 18 and 19 tell us that from his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the entire earth would be repopulated. Verse 20 tells us that in the new world, Noah became a man of the soil. And he planted a vineyard. And now comes the infamous verse 21. Look at it with me. He, Noah, drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. I want to read it one more time. Noah drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. The record is concise, but it is clear. Noah got drunk and passed out naked in his tent. Did you hear that? Why he was naked, we'll never really know. Drunkenness causes people to do strange things, doesn't it? But let's be very clear here. And I want you to buckle up for the next 90 seconds or so. Let's be very clear. 
drunkenness is a sin and it is explicitly forbidden in Scripture. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. 1 Corinthians 6.10 says this. This is even more troubling. It says that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. And there are plenty of other passages we could go on for a while that warn against drunkenness. But since we're on the topic, let's not go too far in the other direction and say that the Bible forbids any and all consumption of alcohol. Because friends, it simply does not. Wine is literally all over the pages of Scripture. And while its danger is well affirmed and repeatedly affirmed, it is also regarded as a blessing and a gift from God. But, in our fallenness, we sinfully misuse and abuse His good gifts to us, don't we? All of them. Alcohol becomes drunkenness. Food becomes gluttony. Rest and recreation becomes laziness. Sex becomes sexual immorality. Prosperity becomes greed. You get the point. So Noah's sin wasn't in drinking his wine. Which, by the way, there are a lot of people, a lot of preachers who say that the Bible, the wine in the Bible was unfermented, it wasn't intoxicating. Well, if that's true, how did he get drunk? I hate to be the one that asked the obvious question. Noah's sin was not in drinking his wine. It was in drinking too much. And the irony here is that he was the most righteous man on earth. Let, let this just shock you. The irony is that here was the most righteous man on earth passed out drunk and naked in his tent. It is a jarring irony. Genesis 6-9 says this. Just three chapters earlier, about a year in terms of the timeline, a little over a year earlier, Genesis 6-9 says this, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in all his generation. Noah walked with God. Genesis 7-1, God says to Noah, I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And the implication in the original Hebrew of that verse is that Noah alone was righteous. He was the only one left. So you see, Noah's fall then illustrates this truth that I want to just impress upon us this morning. And it is that God's people are simultaneously saints and sinners. We are simultaneously saints and sinners. We are saints because we have been declared righteous through faith in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And His righteousness is counted as ours. But we are also sinners because we still live in this sinful flesh and war against remaining sin. 
the Protestant reformer Martin Luther. I'm not talking about Martin Luther King, whose day is tomorrow. I'm talking about the OG. And if you're if you're over 15, you may not understand what that means. But the OG, Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther, the reformer. He said this. The saints, in being righteous, are at the same time sinners. They are righteous because they believe in Christ, whose righteousness covers them. Pick up on his language. Think about what what happened to Noah. His righteousness covers them and is imputed. That means it's counted. It's credited to them. But they are sinners because they do not fulfill the law, all of it, and are not without sinful desires. Is anybody here this morning without sinful desires? Raise your hand. It's good that we have no liars here today. Because even if you don't act on those desires, they're still there. They will always be there until this body of flesh is laid down. But you know what? I meet a lot of Christians... I meet a lot of believers who don't like this kind of talk. In fact, I've even been rebuked for saying this kind of stuff. They'll say, well, 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 I'm not a sinner. I was a sinner, but Jesus washed me of my sin, and now the Bible calls me a saint. Well, guess what? That's, that's absolutely true. But you're also still a sinner. <laughs> you see, we are positionally, positionally, We are declared righteous in Christ by faith in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection. And we are saints. We are spotless. We are perfect. We are free from all sin. But experientially, in the day in and day out of everyday living, friends, we're not there yet. We still struggle with sin. And dear brother or sister in Christ... If you are not struggling against remaining sin in your life, then something is terribly wrong. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 to 25. It's a long passage, but it, it's important to read it and listen carefully. This is Romans 7, beginning at verse 15. Paul says this, For I do not understand my own actions. <laughs> For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. I want to read that again. Because I'm all the time running into people who say, well, I'm, I'm a good person. Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. Nothing. That is, in my flesh. He says, for I have the desire to... Do you feel this? For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing, he says. Now in verse 20, Romans 7, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells where? In me. So I find it to be a law that when I do, when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. You ever feel like that? You want to do the right thing, but there's always that something is pulling you. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. In His redeemed man, He delights in the law of God. But I see in my members another law waging war. Do you ever feel like you're at war on the inside? I do. Another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells where? Inside. In my members. Here's what he says. Romans 7.24 O wretched man that I am. Have you ever just beat the, the kitchen table and said, God, why am I the way I am? Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? That phrase, body of death, it means his, his unredeemed flesh. Thanks be to God. Where, where does Paul's thoughts go? When he reaches the depth of despair in his own personal sin. Where does his thoughts go? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, that's the Apostle Paul. Can anybody identify with what he just said? We should all be able to. As long as we are in this flesh we will war against the sin that remains in our fallenness until that day when we stand before God and are finally and permanently transformed into what He has already declared us to be, which is righteous saints. It's already, but not yet. You see, Paul still considered himself to be a sinner long after his conversion. 1 Timothy 1.15, he says this to his young protege, Timothy. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am. Present tense. The foremost. Some translations say chief. Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. He didn't say I was the chiefest of sinners. He said I am the chiefest of sinners. You still think you're not a sinner here this morning? We're sinners. We're simultaneously saints. And friends, if you do feel the weight of your sin, and I pray that you do, take heart today, because we all sin. And sometimes, like Noah, like Moses, like David, like Peter, and everybody else, we sin very Badly. But, 1 John 2.1 says that if we sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, all of our righteousness comes through Christ. It's not anything that we do ourselves. So when you sin, and you do sin, I do sin. Friends, run to Jesus as fast as you can and find in Him sufficient grace to wash away your sin and lift off that heavy load of guilt and shame that sin brings on your shoulders. Secondly, we see here in this passage that there is a right way and a wrong way to respond to those who sinned. There's a right way and a wrong way to respond to those who fall. Verse 22, Genesis 9, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So what we have here are two vastly different reactions to this, uh, from the sons of Noah to their father's sin. Ham comes in and sees his father, Noah, the most righteous man on earth, in his sinful and humiliated state. And what does he do? He goes outside to his brothers and really in essence he, he, he says, Hey y'all, come, in, come check out the old man. Come look at what dad, come look what, what's going on with dad. What a mess. Ham publicized his father's sin and shame. But Shem and Japheth, what did they do? They covered it. They take a garment and they carefully proceed to cover him in a way that honors him, still passed out, still drunk. And the actions of all three sons reveal the kind of heart that they have. One son looked on a sinner in scorn. And the others looked on him with grace. So friends, I want to ask us this morning, what's in our heart toward others when they fall? Is it self-righteous judgment? Or is it grace? Do we get on the phone to our friends and say, hey, did you, did you hear about what so-and-so did? Do we type into the the Petersburg buzz. We share the story online. Friends, we have to be very careful. <laughs> because listen, Christians are masters at cloaking gossip in the language of prayer and concern. So before we get on that phone, Call somebody who really doesn't even need to know. We should ask the Holy Spirit to check our motives 
Proverbs 17.9 says this, Whoever covers an offense. You hear that language of cover? You hear that? What did Noah's two sons, Shem and Japheth, do? They covered him. He covered his offense. Solomon says in Proverbs 17.9, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But who repeats a but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. In other words, he who gossips ruins relationships. So when someone falls and sins, it is enough to say something happened, and he or she they need our prayer, and then we go to cover that person with grace and support. That's how you deal with sin. From a believer. From a saint. <laughs> Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You see, instead of bearing his father's burden, like Galatians 6.1 says we are to do, Ham broadcasted his father's burden. He publicized it. And his action brought consequences that reached far beyond himself. Genesis 9.24 when Noah awoke from his wine. I wonder how he felt. He woke up from his wine. I think in modern parlance we call that a hangover. Don't we? This is real life right here. On the pages of Scripture in the first 11 chapters. Been preaching Genesis 1 through 11 for what? I don't know, three, four, five, six months. I don't know how long it's been. We're almost done. But what do we have? Real life right here before our very eyes. From the man that God used to save this world after the flood, through the flood. He was a prefiguring of Christ. The ark was a prefiguring of salvation of the cross. The only way to escape judgment is to be on the ark. The only way to escape judgment is to be in Christ. And here he is, real life. Waking up from his wine. And the Bible says that he knew what his youngest son had done to him. Verse 25, and then Noah said something very peculiar. He said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall be he be to his brothers. Now, who is Canaan? Well, Canaan is Ham's son. It's Noah's grandson. So why did Noah curse his grandson? You see, here's why. Because Ham brought a curse on his entire family line because of the way he dishonored Noah. Canaan was Ham's son, and from him would come the who? Canaanites, who would eventually become one of Israel's greatest enemies. 
two times in this passage, verses uh, 18 and 22, Ham is called the father of Canaan. And that is significant because it shows us that sin has long-lasting and even generational consequences. You see how Western individualism here in America, this idea that, well, you know what, I can do whatever I want to do as long as I don't hurt anyone. That's one of the greatest myths of our time. We don't live in a vacuum. Our choices do hurt and harm other people, especially within our families. Yes, Scripture clearly affirms and teaches that each person is responsible for his or her own sin. But it also teaches that our sin reaches far beyond our own lives into the lives of our children, our grandchildren, even generations into the future. And friends, we are living proof of that right now in the American nation because we are reaping the fruit of generational dysfunction in the family. We're living proof of this. Our sins have potentially long-lasting consequences. So don't, don't think for one second that your choices do not affect others. But there's good news here. There's good news in this mess that Noah got himself into. Drinking the way he did. Because lastly, we see here in this passage, (laughs) this is the best part, that God's grace brings blessing out of our sin. God's grace brings blessing out of our sin. Look at verse 26. He also said, that's, that's Noah speaking now, Noah also said, Blessed be the Lord. So imagine this. You're, you just got drunk, you passed out naked, and then when you wake up, you're blessing God. Why? Well, that's what it means to be simultaneously a saint and a sinner. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. You think God answered this? He did. In many ways, in many ways, Noah's fall into this drunken, naked stupor. Listen, I don't want anybody to think you can go out here and just because Noah did it, you can do it. Don't, no. Don't, we, we're not going to justify our sin. We, but we want to see the grace of God surpass our sin. That's what it does here. In many ways, Noah's fall mirrors Adam's fall. Both Adam and Noah were workers of the ground. They were both tempted by the fruit of the earth. Adam to eat, Noah to drink. They both became shamefully naked in their sin, didn't they? And in both cases, their choices had significant repercussions in the lives of their children. Remember Cain and Abel? After Adam fell in Eden, God pronounced the curse of sin upon our fallen world, but in that curse He embedded the promise of redemption. 
Genesis 3.15, God says to the lying serpent, that dragon, I will put enmity, the strife, conflict between you and the woman, that's Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Friends, this, Genesis 3.15, is the main storyline of Scripture and the Bible traces it like a scarlet thread straight through the godly line of Seth to Noah, to Shem, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Shem was the chosen one who would continue the godly line of the Redeemer who was to come. The descendants of Japheth from whom came the Gentiles, they were recipients of the promise of grace in Christ who broke down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and who saves all who will believe regardless of their ethnicity or their ancestral heritage. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. If you kneel at the cross, Jesus will save you. By the way, this is for next week. So just a little appetizer for next week. We can trace the Gentile nation of America all the way back to Japheth's descendants, the son of Noah. We can do it. We are here because of him. But the point is this. Noah's sin, Ham's sin, and Canaan's curse were powerless to nullify the grace of God in His promise to redeem creation from the curse and power of sin. Friends, God used the sin of Noah and the sin of His son Ham to sovereign... Only God can do this. He used their sin to sovereignly accomplish His his redemptive purpose. So friends, here's here's the point for us this morning. No matter what you have done, it doesn't matter what you have done. No matter what dark page, what dark chapter you want to tear out of your story, if the grace of God was enough for Noah, there is hope for us. There's hope for us. In Mark 2.17, Jesus says to the scribes and the Pharisees, now you remember them, right? They were the ones who didn't think that they were sinners. He says this, Mark 2.17, Jesus, this is Jesus. Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Are you a sinner this morning? Jesus came for you. He came for you. Where your sin abounds... His grace abounds more. But will you confess your sin and flee to Christ? Naked, (laughs) right? Naked of all self-righteousness so that He might cover you with His perfect righteousness. Will you do that? Friends, this might be a good day for all of us 
to be reminded that we are not really the saints that we think we are. And we all need the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. We're going to sing in a moment that great hymn, Grace Greater Than All Our Sin. And if the Lord is stirring in your heart this morning, I want to invite you to go to a place of prayer. If that's in your pew, the seat right where you're at, if you need to crawl under the pew and lay down prostrate before the Lord, if you want to come down up front and pray, I just want to call us all to a place of prayer. Let's bow together.